Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight, um, I'm going to start a quick mini-series that is uh, one I have been looking forward to and not looking forward to for some time. Uh, about six weeks ago, five or six weeks ago, the Lord kind of um, kind of uh, impressed on my heart to do this in a certain time frame, and I've never experienced that before, so your pastor's on a, on a, on a curveball from the Lord on that one, never been kind of given some instruction or a prompt to uh, do something before a certain time. Um, my instruction was to present this uh, before the middle of, May, of June, so mini-series starting the first week of June, we'll hit that mark just fine. So um, you can see I waited to the last moment on that one. And the reason is because I have never once in the history of this church been um, afraid to preach on anything until this, full transparency. Um, The only thing I've ever dealt with fear on is this subject. And the reason is because it's on what the Bible says about money. And when you talk about historically and, you know, and in the culture, when you talk about churches and money, you think, oh, Lord, you know, and... um, so before you clutch your purse and your wallet to your chest and be like, oh God, are you taking an offering? No, I'm not. Um, I'm going to um, uh, kind of address this issue um, out of obedience. And so if you hear any anxiety in my voice or apprehension, um, that is what it's from. And because uh, I have uh, seen up close and personal uh, ministries and churches in general who do not handle money correctly. And they put a lot of pressure on people, put their thumb on people to be like, hey, um, the offering plate's coming by. And if I can't see it, the Lord does. And whatever you put in there, he's going to be happy or he's not. And so there's a lot of pressure on that that happens in the church. And so um, so if you hear any apprehension in my voice, that's what it is. I've asked the Lord to help me. And I've kind of in I, got, I unexpectedly watched the movie Braveheart last night. So I, I kind of feel like I should conquer something. So we're going to face our fears and leave our, live our dreams here today. Um, and so the only way I knew how to do, do this was not to dip my toe into the water, but to go into the deep end and do a high dive cannonball off into the deep end, right, uh, right, on, the, um, right on, the, uh, on, on the deep end of this. So I'm going to address, I'm going to jump right into the, the subject of tithing, okay? So um, now the modern church, the modern church... Uh, has this idea about tithing that tithing is you have to give 10% of your income of the gross, not the net, because don't be jipping God out of his 10% on those taxes, and um, uh, do it on the, on the gross, not the net, and if you do that, then your money is no longer cursed, right? Your money's cursed until you give the 10%, God redeems it, and then the 90% is going to go further than the, than the 100% ever would if you would just to honor God with that. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody raised like that, like I was? Right. So I was definitely raised that way. Um, they, there's a bunch of cute sayings that they put with money. Uh, the, the tithe is a debt that you owe. And the, um, the offering is the seed that you sow. Anybody ever heard that one? Those little, little rhyming words? No? Okay, well, you were spared. Hallelujah. Um, uh, so there's another idea that if you tithe, God somehow protects you. He protects all of your, all of your money and your job and your place of employment and your work and all that kind of stuff. He protects you in a way that you're not going to be protected if, um, if you, uh, didn't give, right? Uh, any other one-liner sayings anybody heard when I said tithing? What, anybody else got one you want to throw out real quick? Okay, I pretty much covered them all, right? <clears throat> so the other one is that the Lord will rebuke the devourer. You ever heard that one? Like your, your crops and your job and stuff is not going to be overrun if you tithe. Um, I have, I have uh, uh, spent a long time in my life tithing and listening to these messages. And this is the passage that is most used and you will find out most abused in this subject. And it's, what is it? Malachi chapter 3, right? You got, oh, see, got some church folks in here. I've been around a while. And this, so I put it at the top of your notes here, okay? And that uh, says this, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. 
You were cursed with a curse, for you were robbing me, the whole nation of you, bringing the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for, for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that I will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord your host. So most people, when you see this word blessing, they think of the thing automatically that's most important to them to define blessing. And in our American self-centered uh, finance consumerism, capitalism, idea of economy, everybody wants what? Status and money. So when you take just this passage out of the rest of Malachi and ignore what the rest of it says and just read this, you go, oh, I'm robbing God. And if I want to get all that money, because that's how I interpret blessing in this culture, if I want to get all this status, if I want to get all the, the treasures passed out to me, then I better tithe because he says, test me on it. And he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there's no more need. And bro, I bought into that hook, line, and sinker for the vast majority of my life. I started tithing when I was 14, and it took me well until after I was 40 to start asking the questions out loud I had most of my life. When that didn't work. And so... I thought, well, I just got to keep doing the same thing, right? Just because that's what they said to do. I got to keep doing it. And so I went back and looked at what the Bible says about tithing, where the tithing concept came from, and why God introduced it to, um, to his people in the first place. And that's what I want to walk us through here today, because beyond any of man's tradition, God's word is supreme. Let me say that one more time for you. Beyond any of man's traditions, God word, God's word reigns supreme. Now remember, first line in your notes, the Bible was written for us and not to us. Any times it says, you know, addresses you, you got to ask yourself, who is you? Not like, it's not written to us because we didn't live during those time frames. It's written for us. To learn, to be instructed, the Holy Spirit will help us learn the teachings of Christ and influence us, give us a moral standard, some guidelines to, to live our life by. But who is the intended audience of this? And we're going to get into this and realize who it is once we go back into the Old Testament, okay? So, when we talk about the, the, the biblical idea of tithing and what the Bible says about it, the word, let me first define the next line of your notes, the word tithe means tenth. Tenth, not a tenth of your income, a tenth of your money, the tenth that you give to the church, that's not the tithe. It just simply means tenth. If I had 10 marbles and you took one of them, that would be a tithe. It just means tenth. For all the kids that are here, if I had 10 goldfish crackers in my hand and you took one of them, you would have a tenth, right? You would have a tithe. That's all it simply means. So how was this idea of tithing instituted by God. Everybody remember that the children of Israel were captive in Egypt? Remember that for 400 years? Who was the one who led them out? Moses led them out and they went and crossed the, the Red Sea. There you go. Gotcha. Thank you. He was like, man, it was only me. I was a little scared there for about five seconds. No, no, you're good. Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness and they had to wait there for how many years? 40 years, I got some Sunday school attenders in this room. Good job, good job. <clears throat> For 40 years, Moses died, and then who led them into the promised land? Joshua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Aaron went, went with him. He's, he's, he's half right, but Joshua led him in there. Yeah, keep going, Ross. You're good. Um, and his own wife is bagging on him, just laughing at him right there. He, he's half right, Val. Um, so, uh, so they lead him in there, right? And the promised land was the land called? The name of the promised land was Canaan. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan, back there. Okay, now, so when they walked into Canaan, the promised land, they divided the land up among every tribe of Israel. How many have ever heard of the tribes of Israel? Yes? Okay. 
When you hear somebody say the tribes of Israel, these are the brothers, all the descendants of Jacob, that, were, um, that, that had families. So when you hear the tribe of Judah, it just means the descendants of the man named Judah. If you hear the tribe of Dan, that is one of them, um, that it's the descendants of a guy named the tribe of Benjamin are the descendants of a guy named, there you go, and so on down the line. If I were to put a map up here for you, you would see how this group of people got this area of land, and next to them was this area, and so on down the line. And it was divided up among all the, the um, tribes of Israel, except one. One tribe got no land, zero. And God gave them all this land, all the Israelites, because it was their inheritance. It's like, hey, this is your land. If you will obey me and follow me for all your generations, newsflash, they did not. Spoiler alert, right? Um, but if you stay here, this is going to be your land. And if you were a part of the tribe of Benjamin, and you were born and grew up, and, and you, had, you had land waiting for you, how many would have loved that right today? How many like them to build you a house that didn't have a mortgage on it? My foot too, right? That's all, every, every appendage, like up, up in the air, right? All my arms and legs. I want that. That was their, that, that was their um, inheritance, right? Now they got to go build on it, except for the Levites. Now before you think the, the Levites got hosed in this deal, the Levites were not given land because God picked them to serve in his tabernacle. They had a ton of duties to do. They had um, uh, the, the tabernacle for, for, for a very long time, for decades, was simply a tent that had the Ark of the Covenant in it. There had to be a certain type of curtain that was a certain width and a certain length and a certain height that went around the Ark of the Covenant. There was only certain members of, of um, Israel, the Levites, who could carry the Ark of the Covenant when they moved from place to place to place. They weren't even allowed to touch it. They had to put poles and these rings on the side of it, and only the Levites and the priests could pick this thing up on each corner and walk around with it. There were some very, very specific things that the tribe of Levi, Levi had to do. No one from any other tribe was allowed just to walk right up into the tabernacle. You weren't allowed to walk up and where the altar of incense was and just start burning your own incense. No. You weren't even allowed to sacrifice on your own. If you needed forgiveness of sins for something, you were not allowed to just walk up there and do it. You had to have someone from the tribe of Levi do it for you. God put a ton of responsibility onto the nation of Levi, or to the, to the tribe of Levi. They had to serve as mediators between God and the people because Jesus hadn't died yet. They were the ones who took the sacrifices and executed the sacrifice for the people in Israel. The priests interceded. They prayed on behalf of the people to God. They would inquire to God about the direction of the nation. They were, um, the Levites um, uh, were also aided the priests in preparing the sacrifices. They took care of the temple. They made repairs when needed. They served as musicians, singers, and doorkeepers. They, um, they, had, they couldn't even start serving in the temple until they turned 25. And then after they turned 50, they couldn't serve any longer. They were the teachers of Israel, the nation's scribes. They, they were the judges and the rulers, and they were responsible for making sure accurate weights and measures were, were used in the town square. They had all of these specific duties to do that only they were assigned to do. When you sinned, you had to make a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, and then your sins were covered. If you didn't have the Levites to do that, there was no way for you, to, for you to have that forgiveness of sins repudiated to you. 
the reason that the, temp, that the people of, uh, the, of the tribe of Levi weren't given any land is because they were not supposed to be focused on growing crops, raising herds. They weren't supposed to be working in the fields. They were supposed to be the, the ones who were carrying out all of those tasks I just mentioned and then some so that the nation of Israel stayed in right standing with God. So how were these guys taken care of? God instituted a system, a tithing system. What I didn't know before I got into this study, next time in your notes, is that God required the Israelites to give three different tithes. Three different tithes. Some of you who are doing math real quick, that's 10, 20, 30. You're like, oh my gosh, we went from 10% to 30% in like the last seven minutes. What are we doing? No, just ease up. We'll get through it, okay? So the first tithe, the first tithe that had to be given was, next line in your notes, the tithe for the Levites. The tithe for the Levites. Numbers chapter 18, verse 20 through 24. And the Lord said to Aaron, you priests will receive no allotment of land or share of property among the people of Israel. I am your share in your allotment. As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. From now on, no Israelites except priests or Levites may even approach the tabernacle. If they come too near, they will be, they will be judged guilty and will die. Only the Levites may serve at the tabernacle, and they will be held responsible for any offenses against it. This is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. The Levites will receive no allotment of land among the Israelites because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been presented as sacred offerings to the Lord. This will be the Levites' share. Once a year, if you were living during that time frame in Israel, you had to look at everything you owned, that you owned, not land, but everything you owned, all your crops, all of your herds, everything, and you had to take 10% of it and go take it to the tabernacle or the temple and drop it off so that the Levites could continue to do the job that you were not allowed to do. They were making sure that all the regulations were followed. They were making sure that all the sacrifices happened properly. They were making sure that, that, that when the temple and the tabernacle was moved from place to place to place, only certain families in, certain, in the tribe of, of Levi were able to even move certain things. One group had the, 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 um, the, would repair the walls. Another would carry the, um, the, the curtains. They, they were, when they would sleep, some of, there were certain families that would sleep on the west side and then the east side and the south side and the north side. They were, they were, they was meticulous in what they were supposed to be doing. And the only way they got cared for was because the people of Israel gave their 10% to these guys doing the job they couldn't do for them because Jesus hadn't been there yet and they had to sacrifice every time that they wanted to be, have forgiveness of sins. That was the first tithe. Second tithe, in your notes, the tithe for the feasts. <clears throat> the tithe for the feasts. Israel and uh, the nation of Israel had to observe many feasts. If you know someone who's Jewish today, Orthodox Jewish, who who still operates by the old you know calendar and the old system, they still celebrate these today. Passover, the Feast of Trumpets, and all of these feasts, there's, there's I think more than 10 of them if I remember correctly, um, there are specific ways that you have to celebrate the feasts. You have to do this feast and then wait a number of days and then you start the next one. And then you can't work one day before you start this feast. There's all of these regulations around it and they're required by God to celebrate these feasts. This one cooked my noodle because watch what happens here. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. You must set aside a tithe. This is the second 10% of your crops. One-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. 
the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. You brought 10% to the place that he wanted you to be, and then you ate it. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored, might be too far for you to bring the tithe. He's saying that your abundance of crops and herds, I might have touched it this year so much that you can't physically take the tithe of it. You can't physically transport it to the place that I'm supposed to be worshipped. Let's go back to the passage. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch, and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, and other alcoholic drink. Then feast there in the presence of your Lord your God and celebrate with your household and do not neglect the Levites in your town, for they receive no allotment of land among you. When you go take the 10%, the second 10%, and then you go and have this giant feast, feed your whole family, all, all your cousins, all your aunts, all your sisters and brothers, all of them, right? This would be, a, this, if this was Tongans or Samoans, this is the food would be like, we would need like days worth of food, right? Just like the families are massive, right? Um, me, like I know like three of my cousins. That's it, right? But all, you know, the massive families, same thing with the Jewish people, massive families, and they're saying feed all of your families and bring the Levites in because they don't have any extra food for the feasts. Bring these guys in and let them eat with you. I had no clue that they were supposed to eat their own tithe on the second one. As an honor to God and to say, I'm trusting you. Then, there's the third one. Next sign in your notes, <clears throat> the tithe for the poor. They did not give this every year. They gave it every three years. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town, so they can eat and drink and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. The third tithe was given every third year. At the end of the year, you took 10% of your grain, 10% of your oil and all that, and took it to the storehouse. Everybody remember that word from Malachi chapter 3, bring your tithes to the storehouse? The storehouse was literally a storage unit to keep this extra tithe so that if the Levites were starting to run out, they could kind of get a little bit to hold them over but then to give to the poor, the orphan, the widow, and those who were traveling through their land. They wanted to make sure that they were providing for all of those people. That was the third tithe. So on average, these guys were giving 23 and a third percent a year. <clears throat> so let's go back to Malachi. With that fresh in your mind, there's three different tithes, who they're given to, why they are given, the purpose of it. Now go back to Malachi and you go, wait a minute. This is not so cut and dry as you, a follower of Jesus, a Gentile, have to drop off 10% of your income at the church at the, at, every time you get paid. That's not what we just read. The money that was given to the, the Levites in the temple and the tabernacle was so that they could compensate those who would do the sacrifices for them that led to the forgiveness of their sins. They were compensating them for following those, all of those rules that do not apply to us today. 
who was the book of Malachi written to? Remember, Israel started off really good in their own land. And then what happened? They wandered away from God and started worshiping other idols, right? God sent a, a, a prophet to come say, hey, get back over here with, G, with, with God. And they'd be, oh, yeah, you're right. They'd go, then they would reconcile with God. And then what would happen a little bit later? Go right back to the other side, and they would worship the other gods, and they would, I don't want to worship our God anymore. I want to worship Baal and Asherah and all these things. And then God would send a prophet and say, hey, come back over here. And there was this, we're in with God, we're out with God, we're in with God, we're out on God, we're in with God. That was Israel's history, if you read the Old Testament, back and forth, back and forth. Malachi is a prophet that God sent to Israel when they were out on God, to say, hey guys, get back in here. Obey the God who established you as a nation. How do I know that Malachi is not talking to us today, but he's actually talking to the nation of Israel? Malachi 1, verse 1. The first verse in the book of Malachi says, this is the message the Lord gave to who? Israel, through the prophet Malachi, that line in your notes, Malachi was written to Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. <clears throat> if we were to go back, I'm not going to do it because we don't have the time to do it here today, but I want to encourage you to go back and read the entire book of Malachi. God starts by telling them, hey, you have been disloyal to me. And they say, how have we been disloyal to you? And then he tells them, you think I don't love you. They say, well, how, do you, how have you shown that and proven that you've loved us? He said, I established your ancestor Jacob as my chosen people, and that means you are my chosen people. I love you. Later on in chapter 1, he looks at all the priests and says, hey, you guys aren't following the, the rules that have been laid out for you. Y'all aren't sacrificing right. You're not doing these things right. You're bringing me not the best you have. You're bringing me the worst you have, like sick animals and diseased animals and sacrificing. Would you give that to your governor and expect him to be pleased? How are you going to approach me as your God like that? Chapter 2, he keeps raining on the heads of the, of the priests, and he keeps telling them over and over again, you guys are doing this wrong. You are teaching the people incorrectly, and because your job is to teach the people the commandments of God, they are sinning against me because they're following your words, thinking that it's mine. But you're manipulating them. You're not telling them the truth. You're not giving them what they're supposed to be giving them. You're not sacrificing the way you're supposed to be sacrificing. And it's causing them to live in constant sin because the sacrifice is not right for their sins. He keeps telling them, the, the people, you are... You are stepping out on me. The priests are stepping out on me. The, the tribe of Levi is supposed to be doing these jobs. You're stepping out on me. You have abandoned this entire system that I have laid out for you. And they ask him, how did we abandon this? You've not followed any of my decrees. You've not followed any of these things. And you're robbing me on top of it all. How? You're not giving the tithes. You're not taking care of the Levites, so they have to go out and work. They're not serving you correctly. You're not obeying me correctly, so they're taking care of. This whole thing is a mess. Everybody go back to what I told you to do in the first place and see if it don't work again. See if the curse that is on you will be lifted and I can pour out my blessing on you because you were obedient. And then he goes after this and continues talking about other things. You would think that the only time Malachi is preached on is when it comes to tithe. You would think this entire thing is about you got to give God money. you got to give the church money. And that is not what the, what the overarching message of Malachi is. It's you have wandered off. You've married into foreign people who worship these other gods. You're doing all this stuff I told you not to do. And you're not doing the things I told you to do. Come back 
to where, to, to where we started, come back to the law that I introduced to you, and watch when the curse goes away from you, what happens. After I read all of that, I went, okay. Well, I can't look at the Old Testament and think it's telling me to tithe, because it's obviously not. This was God funding his system, the Old Covenant. So it must be in the New Testament, right? If it's not in the Old Testament, it's got to be in the New Testament. So the, the New Testament only mentions tithing in three books. Matthew and Luke are two of those books, and they're just two people talking about the same event. And then in Hebrews, he's talking about the Old Testament. No directions for us. So let's see what, what Jesus has to say about tithing. This is the only time he talks about it. Matthew 23, 23 through 24. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? Hypocrites. You are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes, but you, you do not um, but you, but do not neglect the more important things, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel instead. Now, you could look at that and be like, hey, it says you should die. Yes. Who is you? Who is he talking to? Next on your notes, who is Jesus talking to in Matthew 23? Teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. What nationality are the religious leaders and the Pharisees? Israelites. Next line of your notes. Is the Old Testament law still in place when Jesus makes this statement? Yes. He hasn't died in fulfilled the covenant, the old covenant. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee, the Israelite, who was still under the Old Testament system. So here's a big statement I'm going to make. No one in Scripture instructs New Testament believers to tithe. No one in Scripture instructs New Testament believers to tithe. Some of y'all are looking at me like side-eyed a little bit like, I've been taught this my whole life, bro. Now you're coming for its neck. If you're one of those people, I want you to go back. We won't get into it right now, but Acts chapter 15. Write that down if you're one of those people. Acts chapter 15 there are some Jewish, um, there's some Jewish teachers who are telling the believers, you have to follow the old law now that you're following Jesus because he talked about our God. You got to start sacrificing. You got to be circumcised. You got to follow all the rules. And Peter and the elders and all the apostles, including Paul and Barnabas, all got together and had a meeting and wrote that church a letter in Acts chapter 15 and sent them a letter and says, um, and basically tells them, um, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. Abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming the blood of meat from a strangled animal, and from sexual immorality. If you do these, you will do well. How come he didn't tell them you're in debt to God right there? All these guys are talking about the old system. Why didn't he say, oh yeah, we're carrying this one forward from the old system to the new system. How come he doesn't mention it right there? Because he says, if you just do these three things, outside of the teachings of Jesus that were already given you, if you just do these three things, you're good. 
Seems like the perfect place to be like, oh, and don't forget, if you want to redeem everything you have and continue to be able to give to the poor and bless everybody, give 10% to uh, us. Just send it in here. It would have been the perfect place to say that, right? But he doesn't. So Matt, if the Old Testament doesn't tell us to tithe, and the New Testament doesn't tell us to tithe, where did we get the idea that we're supposed to be tithing? Where did all the guys that I heard growing up, every last one of them, who told me to follow this system, where did they get that information from? Because the New Testament church, from its inception all the way till the end of the 6th century, never tithed. Where did that come from? Next sign in your notes. <clears throat> Tithing to the church was instituted at the Council of Macon, M-A-C-O-N. I'm sure there's a different way to say that, but I'm from the South, and I know of Macon, Georgia, so Macon it is today. <clears throat> Tithing to the church was instituted at the Council of Macon in the 6th century to raise money for churches, priests, and the poor. Which church has priests? Catholic Church. If you don't believe me, go back to a book. I put it in your notes. A Manual of Councils of the Holy Catholic Church written by Reverend Edward H. Landon. He categorizes all the councils that got together. And in 585, they were running low on money. And so they instituted the idea of tithing because they needed to pay the priests. They needed to build more churches. They needed to care for the guys that were under their employ. They also determined, go read it. I was stunned. It was hilarious to me, actually, that if you are a, uh, just a congregation member and, you, and you're riding a horse because there's no cars back then, and you see a, a priest walking by, and he's going to cross your path. You have to stop the horse, get off the horse, and salute him until he walks by. And then you can go back and jump on your horse and walk off. That's important. There was a half dozen other things like that that were instituted because why? They viewed it as respectful. Just because, now look, I, I hit up a Catholic church last week in the message and probably and this week too. I'm not coming at the Catholic Church. I'm just reading you history, right? Like I'm not, please don't come to me and be like, bro, you hate Catholics. I do not. And I don't think that every single person who's in the, who was from the, that point forward in the Catholic Church or anybody who taught this to me or to you throughout history is some manipulative, conniving little person. So before you hear somebody online or a message on a podcast somewhere where they're teaching about tithing before you get on there and go social media warrior on them and be like bro that ain't even right i just went to church here here's the link to the message you need to watch this sucker because that is you are manipulating and stealing from you don't do that what did we say two weeks ago only 37 percent of the people in the position of pastor have a biblical worldview they're influenced by the culture and the traditions that raise them. And guess what? You are too. I was. You know, in the Council of Macon, you know what they said was the consequence for not giving your 10%? You don't get to participate in communion. A big deal on the Catholic end. And... You were excommunicated from the church until you paid up. They used fear to get people to give them money. Put that off to the side. Then let's just talk about that passage in Malachi. You don't give your 10%, you're under a curse. 
If you give, the devourer will be rebuked. But if you don't, everything you produce is at risk. I went through several levels of fear, even having conversations about this with some people. Me and Nina had very apprehensive conversations, fearful conversations, when we were like, what do you mean we're not supposed to tithe? We're going to be cursed. I don't want us to lose everything we have. And then I started going back and thinking, when the economy collapsed in 2008, I lost my home. But I was a tither. How did that work? When I followed all of our crew to go to Texas and plant a church there, I started getting phone calls after about a year of living there, the day before payday going, hey guys, we're not gonna be able to pay your full amount anymore. Got down to the point where there was only paying out 15 to 20% of what we were expected to make. And by the grace of God, we made it on $19,000 one of those years, total. How did we only have 31 cents left? And I started getting eviction notices as a tither. How did after we tithed for decades when we had very little how did me and Nina also, on top of that one time, give the largest offering we had ever given to that point? And it wasn't a lot of money, mind you. It was just big for us. And then two weeks later, I get diagnosed with aggressive skin cancer and have to go in for surgery. And it wipes out half of our savings because my insurance was terrible and had a massive deductible. And it took us two and a half years to recover from it financially. I was tithing all the time since I was 14. How did those things happen to us if what I was taught was right? Now you could be like, well, Matt, you're just a little mad because you lost everything. No, I was at the time. I was very confused because people drew a line from the Levites to the pastors and said they're the same thing. They drew a line from the storehouse to the church bank account and said it was the same thing. They drew a line from Israel to Gentile believers and said it was the same thing. When I go back and read, none of those things connect. The Levites were the mediators between Israel and God. Who is our mediator? Jesus. Do you have to come to me to sacrifice to cover your sins? Do I have to make sure the temple is taken care of and only a handful of people who are related to me are allowed to touch things in this building? No. Is there a system in place that today that we're commanded to do to drop off X amount of dollars so I can put it in a bank account to give to people who are needy? Mm -mm. As the Gentiles, have the Gentile believers replaced Israel? Mm -mm. We were grafted in together, all believers. The ones who honored God before Jesus are given credit as if they had faith in him. So Matt, did you preach this message to tell me I don't have to tithe? Yes. Won't that cost the church money if people are tithing? Maybe. Why would you do that? First of all, I have to be obedient to what I feel like he's telling me to do. But I cannot continue 
but lay on you the burden of a tradition that was invented by man and tell you that it was invented by God. Because it wasn't. Are you telling me I'm not supposed to give? Nope. We'll talk about that next week, about what the Bible says about giving and the generous heart. Are you supposed to look out for the poor and especially for each other before everybody else, your family, fellow believers in Christ, before you go out to the world to do all of that? Yes. Are you supposed to give from sacrifice, from generosity, from love, from, from honoring God? Absolutely. But to whom? Should you give to our fellowship of believers so we can keep paying to, to be here and there's a couple of bills we've got to pay and should we all contribute so that we can continue to, to reach out to other people and help those in need like we have been? Absolutely. But are you going to be cursed if you come one cent short of that 10% growth, a gross that you get in your account, and it better be the first thing that hits, because if you give the, the next part, if you give it second, as you buy a cup of coffee, you've screwed the whole thing. It's got to be the first, because it's the first fruits. Mm -mm. I cannot continue as a pastor or even sleep at night thinking that there is a fear in people my God, if I don't do this, I'm screwed. If I don't do this, if I don't give exactly this amount of money, then everything is cursed. Jesus died to complete the law and to break every curse associated to your sin. Why then would he come back and be like, oh yeah, you're going to be cursed again? You don't drop off 10% of what you have in the offering plate every week. I don't know about you. I was taught the tradition, not the scripture. Does Paul tell people in the New Testament that God loves a fearful giver? Fearful. Giving of any kind is a posture of your heart, not a checklist to follow so that I can get more from God. Guarantee you, most people who fall under this, because it was me, I gave going, I give and I love you, God, but where's that outpouring from heaven? Where's that part where I can't contain it? Can we get to that part real quick? Yeah. It never came. I've been provided for. God has not left me hanging as his child. He has made up some, for some dumb decisions I've made. He's opened up some doors for us to have provision as a family. And What I want to have happen is the fear go away in relation to giving. Should you give here? Yes. There's a whole bunch of other places you should be given to. Don't want you to operate in any sense of fear when it comes to obeying God. He might prompt you to do something that's like, oh my gosh, whoo! Tell me to give what to who? It's going to kill my budget, man. But that's not a fear-based thing. That's an obedience to what he's directing you to do. Matt, this could hurt the financial position of the church. Yep, it could. But I can't manipulate you to give. I've been up close and personal when it happened. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about 
how we're supposed to give, how, what, why God gives us money, what we're supposed to do with it, our responsibility, how we're supposed to steward it correctly. We're going to get into all that, but I cannot go forward and maybe even leave the remnant of the idea of fear in you about money. Why? Because God's not given you a spirit of fear. Power of love and a sound mind. Some of you may go, bro, you're a heretic. I can't even believe you would even say this. We have to tithe. And I would respect your opinion. But just say, go back to his word. And let's operate from there. Some people, I've had people tell me this before. The 10% I give is kind of something that we're comfortable with. We like it. It's kind of an homage to the, the temple days. And it's kind of been done, you know, since history. And we're going to keep doing the 10%. And you know what I would say to you? Go right ahead. Not a salvation issue. I want to have happen is the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word to set us free so that we could operate from our heart and not that if I don't do this, I'm in trouble. Full disclosure, I wish the 10% was true. I'm a rule follower. 10% went on Tuesday before noon. It'll be here at 11.58, I promise. I wish it was cut and dry like that. But when it's not, and it's a heart posture, dang it. I got to look and see where my trust and my faith really lies. And then giving takes on a whole different aspect than the you better do it or you're cursed. Cursed.